the original race. It starts to grow, and I'm like, I'm one boy, and then it's canceled. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nate, where are you going to be? Yeah, yeah. I, love, I love the one um, Chris Malloy was in. Oh, yeah. It's like down, it's like children. children. I don't know if this is going to reach. Wow, that is the, uh, the most honorable lab conversation oh. that's ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Scott, we got some more. Oh, I was like, why are we moving like this? It's a tab. So I will probably just be off my thing. No. No. Nathan, you can never be off me. <laughs> no. Yeah. You can just, no. you just, just pass the mic down the line. It's fine. Yeah. I don't mind. There was only a way to baby bird the sound into all of our mouths. <laughs> you just need a boom operator. Yes, we need a boom. Just get me talking about Tremors when he's still fucking loud. Yeah, it's it's fun. I love when we learned that Jamie Kennedy was his When I first saw that he was going to be in the movie, I'm like, oh god. But he actually was fine. Was that the most recent one? That was in Blood Oh, that was the one before. Yeah. I literally I'm the only one who watches these Tremors series. Nobody else watches them. I do. Josh, I watch the microphone. So I watched five, six, and seven on the same day. Oh, so they kind of very frustrated with the um, the ending of seven. I don't want to spoil it. I do. This is important to me. So when I when I walked into when I sorry, I'm sorry. That was a pretty so, uh, we are live on Facebook too for this. So, uh, so everybody say hello to everybody on Facebook. Hello. Yo, what up? What up? What up? Woo! Tremors for life. Tremors for life. Tremors for life. So, <laughs> one, a murderer's row rose gallery in film trouble here. That's a charity we're doing. Right over here, we have Zane Harshberger, the director of Force to Fear, as well as. Um, Hack in the Box, which is playing today at 6 o'clock, and a director of a shit ton of other things. We'll get into that. Uh, Jamal Hodge, writer and director, uh, did Morning Meal, several Ooh. other films, writer, screenwriter, just a man of jack of all trades, master of all, too. So, uh, <laughs> John Hale, the director of The Conduit, which is playing here at 6 o'clock, and also uh, working on the Worst Laid Plans feature film anthology, which is coming to John's Ooh. class this fall. So, uh, has done a couple other uh, shorts too, including a Killer Reindeer short, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> we got uh, Mr. Personality himself, Mike Lombardo, is up in the hizzy. <laughs> Director of uh, I'm Jeremy White Doomsday, The Stall, and a ton of other really fucked up shorts, including one called Blowjob in a Can. Yeah, Blowjob in a Can. Oh, yeah. Love that. Which almost made me throw up, like in a good way. So uh, that was pretty fucking gross, Mike. Um, Josh. <laughs> Josh Stifter. The director of The Good Exorcist, a very funny horror comedy, as well as Greywood's Plot, which is yes. another fantastic movie that, uh, movie. if I had more time, I would have played more films, and that would have been one of them. Um, he's here in attendance as well. And uh, Jeff Frumis, the director hey. of Romeo's Distress, She's podcaster extraordinaire, <laughs> and the man of a thousand tangents. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started, man. <laughs> So welcome to everybody. We're just gonna have a freeform conversation about filmmaking, weird, weird, wild stories from from behind the scenes and being at film festivals and, and conventions and all that kind of stuff, and uh, talking about genre blast and what it means to everybody too. So we'll get started here. We're kind of just flying off the cuff, and every all six of these guys have personalities and 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 attitude for days. So uh, we're three dimensional characters. Dudes with attitude. So uh, there's plenty to talk about here. So, you go down the line, I don't want to toot my own horn to start off with, but what attracted you to be, want to be, submit to Genre Blast? Or when did you first hear about Genre Blast? And how, what, did you, what were your expectations? Go down, you just go down the line. Um, I actually, this is the first time I've, no, this is the first time I've had a feature play at Genre Blast, but <gasps> I, uh, you know, the first time I came to Genre Blast, I didn't actually have any movies. I just really liked Nathan and his team and just what John Blast is all about. So I just drove out here just to hang out and just see what's up. And then I started submitting because I just wanted to, you know, support the fast and 
be involved in that kind of way. And Nathan is the type of guy who always, he's a very inclusive dude. Like he, he really fosters community, which is, that's my favorite part about genre blast. It fosters community. And so he's like, you know, Hey, why don't you like mod the, uh, whatever, like, uh, you know, uh, moderate this conversation, this, yeah. just to like get people involved. And I just think it's really awesome. Like, I just, I love that. I like inclusivity. I don't like exclusivity. I think it sucks. And you can see that at, at film festivals and not, not, nothing in particular, I'm just saying in general. So. Yeah, just speaking of that really quick, like I, one of the things that Genre Blast does really well, the inclusivity in, at, at some festivals, it's like if it isn't a thousand people, it wasn't a success. So like some of the bigger festivals I go to, it feels like uh, the, the people who run it, they all they care about is the numbers and how many people showed up, what went down, what they can brag about. At Genre Blast, there's very much this like feeling of just relishing in how great film is and the people who actually get it. So like, the, I, just, I like that that mentality, but uh, I think the only reason I, I even checked out Genre Blast is actually because of John Hale. Damn right. Yeah, you <laughs> were like, dude, why aren't you submitting your stuff to this fest? This is the fest yeah, dude, for I your told stuff. You. And so I, I submitted Greywood's plot and got in, and actually I think I won best picture that year and was like, it was amazing. Like, so great to see, even though I couldn't be here, which is why I'm so excited to actually be here now. Um, but uh, I love a festival that really loves the movies and cares about what they're showing, like that last block of films, which I can't <laughs> believe we all sat through. <laughs> I loved it, it was amazing, but we, we made it through that. Yes. that yeah. And that to me is awesome. So that, that's why I love Genre Blast. Um, I submitted White Doomsday to uh, Genre Blast back in 2018. Um, I had heard about this scrappy festival that plays all sorts of weirdo shit, and then I actually got to meet uh, Nathan and Chad. At, I think it was Crimson Screen is where we met, wasn't yeah. it? Or was it Nightmares that we met? It was one of the two. It was one of the two, but then I saw your Crimson Screen and they had just watched uh, the movie and it was like, damn, you should submit that. And I was like, all right. You guys met at Nightmares. Right, right, okay. So um, I heard about this festival and I saw the program and like, it seemed very eclectic and, and kind of cool. And uh, I came down here and I fell in love. It was, uh, it's just such a low key, like chill festival. Yeah. And I feel like I really, I didn't have to be on. I could just sit and talk about the Jingle All the Way Connected Universe <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was just it was just a fucking great festival and like I love how eclectic the lineup was because you know if I'm left to my own devices I'm gonna watch exploitation movies and like Leslie Nielsen comedies and that's pretty much it um, so to literally be in a theater and have you know the short film that always sticks with me is Bullies uh, which made me weep like a little child mm -hmm. and then you know go into like cyborgs and then you know like a hardcore horror movie like it was just such a random mix of stuff and i was like wow this really took me out of my little comfort zone and i love that and i just i love everyone that, that uh comes here and then we ended up winning best feature um in 2018 with white doomsday and i i just want to say thank you that is the best 75 dollars i ever spent for that award and I swear the check is in the mail for real this time. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't write. Um, when I made the conduit as a first, uh, well, my first serious foray in filmmaking, and when I wanted to go on the festival circuit, um, Genre Blast Films was one of the highest rated, you know, in like horror genre, and I was like, okay, I read all the reviews, and everyone seemed to be having a really great time here. So when I submitted it, you know, I craft you craft your little your little letter. Nobody reads that shit. Well, I, I I think I put I think I put in in, in my letter. I was like, well, I was going to submit to Charles Last Three, but Charles Last Four is cool because you know I'm a fan of Rocky Four, you know, I speak <laughs> stupid. I, I was stupid, and uh, I went to Chattanooga. Uh, no, it was the uh, Grind Exploitation Film Fest where Congo got accepted. That's the first time I met Chad and Nathan there. And like I met Nathan, what, what was the, the the restaurant we were at? It was like the chicken restaurant. Oh, um, uh, what is it called? I don't know, but it's amazing. Uh, KFC? No. <laughs> <laughs> much better. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 much better. 
But like, but like, I, I met I met Nathan there, and we just started talking about films and stuff. And champions, champions. There we go, champions. champions. Yeah, champions. And uh, but anyway, we were uh, sitting there, and I, you know, Nathan was talking about like, you know, really awesome movies, and I was like, yo, man, this guy, like, you know, like some of the movies I like. And when I submitted the genre blast and got picked, Nathan said something that's always stuck out to me, which was, you know, we don't have any agendas here. We're here to support you, the filmmaker. Um, you know, we want you to be here, we want you to have a good time to curate our programming here because we love you. We do, we want, there's no other ulterior motives. And that really has always stuck with me because, you know, just like, you know, you guys are saying that there's some festivals that, like, you know, if you don't have X or if you don't pay for X, you don't get a certain amount of experience. But I have not felt that at Genre Blast. It's always, I think, it's almost like a big summer camp, you know, and I love the people who come to Genre Blast and, we all mingle and everything, and it's literally one of the, like I said, Jarvis was the third festival, no, fourth film festival I ever attended in my life. And it's one that's always stuck with me. So that's what always keeps uh, bringing me back. I hate it here. Genre blast, genre blast, genre blast. I, I think um, I think the first time I submitted was um, I heard about it at Nightmares from somebody actually, I, I, as well. Um, and then I saw it again, and I was like, yo, man. It has like this this ill neon letters. I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. You know, oh, you do? Yeah, that's the way. Yeah, 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 that was dope. Yeah. 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 Sorry, really? yeah. You changed my life, man. You changed my life, brother. You heard it here first, folks. You know, I saw it. I mean, everybody looked kind of cool. You know what I mean? I, I, was, I was doing some research on you, Nate. Looked you up. Seem like a cool dude. Cause I was like, check. yeah, <laughs> background check. <laughs> it was like I was over in Virginia, and I was like, oh man, I was like, well, that's not really the deep south. So I'm coming from New York. I was like, I'm just like not that deep, bro. I'm like, alright, I think should be alright. But, uh, <laughs> but I was like, you know, man, it was just great. I mean, like, um. The vibe here is, is very like, it almost feels like a, a family of artists, like a trope. Yeah. You know, every year, yeah. every other year, you just look forward to seeing, oh, what, what's John gonna have? What's Mike gonna have? You know, you just, you just, you just, you know, you, you become invested in, in, in everybody, the other artists that come here, and you just wanna see their new offerings. Like, oh shit, I'm on the genre back to see what, you know, the new, the, the new offering for this person or that person. And um, I just love it. I mean, I love that morning meal. I wasn't able to be attend in person. Um, the first time, I'm just happy. You know, a lot of people hit me up online, like, 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 trying to hit me up. He's like, "Yo, dude!" Like, I was like, "Who's this?" He's like, "Dude, well, what would you make?" Like, this is fucked up. Like, man, people just hit me up. I was like, "Who are these people?" In my, in my Facebook, comes. I'm just like, "What's wrong with you, man?" One lady, one lady told I was like, like, like a, like a. Reverse racism. This is this how you see white folks? I was like, no. I was like, you know, I was just making a movie. Like, <laughs> it just ended up that way because, you know, what I was like, what the hell, man. But um, yeah, it, it was great. I mean, it's always been great. I mean, um, how you guys just look out for people here. Um, I love coming. Um, I plan to, you know, be like a mainstay and just come even if I don't have anything, just to support. Or you know, I just love the people here and. Um, the energy is just good vibes, and a lot of good things come out of good vibes. So, mm -hmm. happy to be here. Never be the last guy in line. <laughs> literally said everything I wanted to say. <laughs> it's like you're the last guy in SEAL Team 6, but you killed me the last guy. I'm going, good job, guys. <laughs> we did it. So, now I. I've met uh, Nathan before. Uh, when I first came down, he was a really nice guy. Like they said, he's very inviting. Uh, Reagan, Chad, they just love movies. It's great to show movies here, especially under like on a big screen. It's it's fantastic because oh, yeah. a lot of times you go to like a con or something, and it's like you know here's the the ballroom or here's the yeah. TV, the bed sheet, yeah, drunk people wandering in. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's, this is crap line when they leave. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you, Billy. <laughs> 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 
like Jamal said, everyone's like a family here. Like this is where I met John here. Mm-hmm. Actually, we become good friends. I've shot stuff for him. I've shot stuff for Nathan. Um, shot some practice stuff for Mike. <laughs> he shot at me. Video's coming soon. Yeah. But no, it's great. It's a great place. I said they show so much different things. Every time I come here, I'm excited to see stuff. Uh, things I've never seen, and uh, it's great. Love it. I always look forward to it. People, I, I try and bring people down to let them experience it because it's nice to go out and meet the filmmakers. Like we run a podcast, so we'll, we'll invite the podcast or the uh, filmmakers on our podcast sometimes, and it's it's just great. It's a good networking tool, and uh, it's great. I mean, instead you get to meet or see new stuff, and you get to really see what's out there because you know big theater sucks. They <laughs> you know like uh, you know these guys are fighting. They fight, and like it's hard. Like we're seeing a buddy of mine runs a uh, distribution company and uh, it's it's hard, man. It's really hard to get movies out there and then get like paid for it. Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> so it's like it's nice that people appreciate it. Instead of some guy stealing your movie going, That suck. <laughs> One star, that's like worst movie ever. <laughs> it's like dude, have you ever seen Shrieker Island? <laughs> it's either worst movie ever, I can make this in my backyard. Everyone Everyone up it or friends or family. <laughs> so no, it's a great place. Nate's a great guy. So thank you very much for doing this show. It's awesome. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, so everybody has a moment in their career where they're like, why, why am I doing this? Should I quit? Should I go and just get a job? And you know, because you've got family members or a spouse or significant others, like, you know, this is fine, but you really gotta like get a real. You know what I mean? You have everybody's had that kind of moment, maybe, maybe not. But was there ever a moment where you kind of felt that way, and then you were reinvigorated by going to a festival, or someone said something to you about your your work that you were like, you know what, I'm gonna stick it out. Have you guys had that moment in your lives? Talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, this has definitely been my experience, and you know the. When I was making my film, when I was making my first film, I was a waiter, and when things weren't working, I was an 18-month, um, it was an 18-month production period on and off. And when things weren't waking out, my immediate thought was, you know, if you don't finish this movie, then you're nothing but a waiter. So like, you have to finish this movie. It was like not, like, I can't let this day job define me and what I do. So like, I have to do it. And here's the thing, like, Here's the problem, like, sometimes you hit a brick wall. I've hit so many, so many times I've hit a brick wall in a variety of ways, not just with, you know, filmmaking. And what you gotta do, or what I've done, is, you know, I really love uh, Joe Lynch from the, the Movie Crypt podcast. The, those guys, they have a fantastic saying, never give up, never give up. You only fail if you give up. And so when I get that, when I get that like uh, discouragement, when I'm like not feeling it, you know, it's okay to sit down in a chair and take a break. Take a break. You don't have to like just take a breather, watch some movies, go about your life, go about your day job, go about whatever. Your day job doesn't define you. And then what happens is at some point, lightning strikes and you're reinvigorated, whether it's you go to a, a festival or whether you just, whatever might happen, and you get, you get back on the horse and you go, all right, time to time to you know do this and so it's just like and then you look at the big picture of it all and you go oh like that's that was just a hiccup in the road and like i need to like zoom out and remember what the big thing is not worry about these tiny little obstacles so just you know never give up yeah so that is like a really great point and like for me you're taught you you mentioned like the day job thing. I think a lot of us probably have day jobs. It's more about the like free time because that's what you're giving up. You're giving up these moments where everyone else is going like, I'm gonna relax, I'm gonna go on vacation. My vacation was Greenwood's plot. My like my whole mentality when I made The Good Exorcist was we're gonna be on reality TV. Like we were making it, Daniel and I knew we were making it for $7,000 with Robert Rodriguez's you know, reality show. Nothing good has ever come from reality TV. Nothing. So we went into it with that mindset and we were like, okay, so let's go on a dad vacation. Like this is our vacation. We get to, yeah, we get to go 
ditch our families for a hot second, make a movie, and if we don't make the movie, fine. If we do, awesome. But let's not ruin what we can do in this moment. I, I, from watching everyone's stuff, a lot of what we're doing is just like living in the moment and being like, what can we do right now? Yeah. Like Jamal was talking about, you know, his actress was laying down after crying and being in this place, yeah. and he's like, I'm gonna go film this shot of smashing a kid's head. <laughs> as fucked up as that sounds, that's what you do as a filmmaker, as an artist. Right. You have to do that, and that's the Smash stuff that inspires me. Yeah. You, yeah, you, you find the moments between the moments to make your art, and I think that's what a lot of artists do. And that, that, that's the kind of stuff we talk at, uh, talk about at Genre Blast that like really hits home for me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with both of you, uh, especially with the hitting a brick wall. I'm a fucking crash test dummy at this point. <laughs> um, Doomsday took three years to make, and uh, without the guy over there, Eric Mearns, uh my co-producer, I would have probably, I don't know what I would have done. Um, Not finished. Yeah, there was three years to make that movie. Um, but the thing is, I always say during talks like this, I tell people, I'm the guy actually saying, go get a real fucking job. Because you can't do anything without the stability that that offers. But that doesn't mean you yeah, can't right. make things. Yep. Having a day job is fine, and it doesn't define you. Um, but you need that money, and you need the you know the vacation time. And the thing is, we're all lunatics, and we're going to kill ourselves to make this stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, you go to your day job, you grind it out for 40, 50 hours a week, whatever, and you know it's just a paycheck. But your movie, you know, when you die those one-star reviews will still be on the internet. <laughs> so, you know, when you spend three years making something in your backyard... <laughs> but seriously, the thing is, is as I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use the, the A word, the artist, um, all we're really doing is just graffitiing our names on the wall of infinity, just saying, sure. I was here, yep. and that's what it's about, um, yeah. and it's it's terrible, and it's it's an awful way to make a living or to spend your life. Really, it really is. It will ruin your life. It will destroy your relationships. But that's you know, I say that creativity is a compulsion, not a choice. And uh, you know, as long as there's other lunatics here that can enable that, um, I don't foresee myself ever giving up completely for a, a good long while. Um, I think I've told this story before, but uh, when I see, I said that. Con was my first serious uh, foray into filmmaking, and we had a uh, Kickstarter, and it failed. And it didn't really mess with me that bad because my wife was nine months pregnant, and we were getting ready to have kids. So I was like, well, 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 well fuck this. Uh, and um, when my son was born, he was about 24 hours old, and I'm sitting there in the chair rocking him. My wife's in hospital bed, and I was like, you know what? Responsible people. You know, this, this is kind of foolish. You know, so, you know, maybe I should stop, you know. I should be a dad, you know. That's where my responsibility is free. And she said something that, that kind of too much. She was like, so uh, you're still doing conduit, right? And I was like, I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe. And she said, you shouldn't give up. Because I, I know how much that means to you. You know, work, we can make it work. Mm -hmm. And when she said that, you know, that kind of reinvigorated me. And I, and I said to myself, if this and I was fully prepared for this, if this film sucks, I could stop right now at 33 and find a new career. You know, maybe I can be a dock worker. You know, something. It's never too late, John. Yeah, <laughs> it's never too late. But like, yeah, I know. But like, you know, like there was enough people who liked it, and then that kept me motivated, and so I kept going, and going, and you know, just to echo for a third time, your day job does not define you. Uh, but you know, without a day job, I can tell you right now, I would not still be able to create the four films that I've made since Conduit. And those films have helped me, you know, get better along the path. And I'm so grateful and thankful for that, to have people in my life who uh, kept pushing me and to keep, you know, letting me know, you know, you are not defined by the things around you. You can continue to make your dream no matter what. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that's definitely uh, been able to stay with me. And that's why, you know, and um, the camaraderie that I see, you know, like I said, for a long time, it was just me and this boy doing post editing by myself, and I'm like, "Is this movie shit?" And then when I come and I see everyone else who has the same passion and the same desire to make their own films, I was like, "You know what? This is pretty cool." And I love being around 
creative individuals who have their own crazy sense of art and you know, just see what they do. So that's kind of my story. I want to clap for everybody. <laughs> you know, you get me hyped, man. But um, I I got to be the bougie bitch up in here, and you know, I gotta say, like, I actually do do this for a living now. I don't have a day job. Um, I just kind of well, I teach. Well, yeah, I teach film, so I guess that's a day job. Um, partially, I mentor. Um. But I mainly been um well I I so I quit twice. I gave up on this shit twice. And and I stayed away one time for two years because I did a feature and um you know, you know who you are, I love you brother, but you you know, you, your greed killed our film. Um it never went never really went anywhere because we never did like the find a post because you want to put the money in and um that set me back and then I was just like Yo, um, I don't need to do this no more. Let me go help, you know, build programs and do all this stuff. But while I was doing that, I was like, I'm, I'm helping kids, you know, live their dreams and go after their dreams. But I'm kind of felt like I was hiding behind their successes, and I wasn't, and I, I was being a hypocrite. I wasn't going. I didn't have the courage to go out there and 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 and, and do it. You know, what I mean, really do it from, really go for my dream, being like, hey, I'm gonna burn all the boats, put myself on death ground. And if he dies, he dies. You know what I mean? Like it's just that's it. You know that's it. You know. So 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 I burnt the boats. I, I said, "Hey, I'm gonna figure it out and I'm gonna do it." And once I had that level of commitment, um, things started going my way. I got to direct TV. I, I started getting jobs. But what I started realizing is that the main thing that people don't tell you about being a filmmaker, if you want to be a paid filmmaker, is that you have to learn the art of negotiation. We don't. We're, most of your time, especially if you're a director. You are a negotiator. That's really a, a large chunk of your job when you negotiate for money, locations, stuff like that. So you got to really learn that, and you also got to learn the business of filmmaking because a lot of times we're just artists. Um, we're not like, but most of our lives we're entrepreneurs. We're our own business. We're a brand. We're like our we're, we're like our, our brand is our own religion, right? Yeah. So so it's kind of like. You gotta, you gotta market it. You gotta know what, what it stands for, what it means. You gotta enroll people into it, and um, then the money starts coming in once you connect it to like some sort of bigger thing, a movement, or you know, it's fun. It's fun, but but it's also like it's work. It's work. It's work. Exactly. Exactly. So so I started looking at it more like that, and um, yeah, but for the last three, four years, I've been kind of just living being a filmmaker. Thank God. Um, predominantly, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just really feel like um, for me, like you know, after quitting twice, it's, it's like I think everybody who comes to me, like I don't think I can do this no more. I tell them like, yo, you should stop, because I feel like if, it, if it's really a calling, you'll always come back. You can't get away. You're in the gang, you're, no matter what. You've been hazed in. You can't escape. You can't escape this shit. So like, like you need to know. Sometimes you need to walk away from something to see. How much it truly means to you if you can really get away and like you said it's a compulsion yeah. it's not a choice yeah. and that's why i think most regular people don't understand about artists a lot of the times we don't want to do this shit. we don't have a choice yeah it did we have this thing in us that we love more than ourselves <laughs> yeah. and, it, and unless you love something more than yourself you can't really understand the artist it's true you know, that's, what is it? Uh, what did they say in rehab? Quitting is easy. I've done it a hundred times. Well, just like anything, you've always hit balls the whole jump. And I like kind of like challenges. So there are times you'll sit down and go, What the fuck am I doing? Pouring your hair out, especially in editing. That's one of the worst places I hate to be. Because I'm saying, Is this thing even coming together? I have no clue. So, but uh, like Mr. Hodge was saying, like there's something in you. Like some people have football. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not a huge sports person, so I don't understand. Someone's like, I love football. I'm like, I sure. That. But I always try to put it in my mind, like they probably like football as much as I like making movies, and then I understand it. So I, yeah, I totally yeah. understand yeah. how they feel. Yeah. So that's what pushes me on. I love telling stories ever since I was a kid. I used to write stories, and after a while, I was like, I'm gonna try and convert them to. You know, film like so people because no one's gonna make it, no one's gonna come and say, Let me see your story, you gotta do it yourself. So, I always like that about just making things myself. I think it's cool. And I said, Luckily, I'll be able to meet people who share the same like passion and they're 
they want to see the you know, projects come alive. And like I said, it's something like Genre Blast, you can see it on the big screen, and you're just like so proud of it. Uh, I worked on a movie called The Barn that had a, a really rocky start. <laughs> and then I came on and helped out, and there were parts where we were going, man, I don't know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> it's like it was pretty rough. And then in the end, when we got to see it on the, actually, uh, the director Justin brought me over to see it in his uh, screening room one time, and sat down with my daughter, and I watched it for the first time. I was like, man, this is really damn good. Yeah. So, so I can tell you, it was like, a, yeah. and I was really proud of it. Bar. So yeah. that's when you, that's when you start feeling good, like when you see people appreciate it and like it, and you know, this is why I do it because I like to entertain people. It's it's, it's a good feeling. I think you're selling yourself short, saying you saved that film with your, your, yeah, your cinematography. You know. <laughs> it's a well shot though. He basically reshot an entire movie. Yeah. 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 After the last right at DP. Didn't do such a good job. Yeah. And basically yeah. saved that film. The bar? So, wow. yeah. 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 I know none of this. I, 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 I literally am just learning. I watched the, Yeah, okay. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> it's a Check it out on the screen team releasing that. Oh, I've seen Get the Blu ray. Oh, I, I, I love the bar. Don't get me wrong. I'm just like, so you guys now, really touched on like compulsion. That's something I wanted to talk about. Like, great short. It's. <laughs> oh, yes. It is a great short. 20, John Blast 2018. Um, so, when something that, like, and we, say, we say regular people, there are people that are not. They like to go to see movies, they watch movies, maybe some people in the audience, but they have no desire to be a filmmaker or a writer or anything. Like for example, you can be a fan of something like comic books or anime or, like I'm a big fan of pro wrestling, I'm a huge nerd for pro wrestling, I just love it. I've watched it since I was a child. I have no desire, never in my life have I ever, have I ever had a desire to be a pro wrestler. I'm just a fan. So there's a dichotomy there between people who feel like they have to tell stories and people who want to watch those stories. and. It's a weird balance because sometimes people cross that line. What is it about filmmaking or just being a storyteller, if you will, because I know a lot of people here write too. Um, this weird thing, like why don't writers just write their story and then it's for themselves and then they put it in a drawer? Like why, why do we have to share our stories with other people? It's, is it, it's not necessarily an ego thing all the way through. It almost feels like an inherent desire to communicate. Like in your own weird way. Can you guys talk a little bit about why you want other people to see your shit, basically? Um, yeah, I really like the, I like that word compulsion. I think that perfectly describes it. I also think it's, um, I've heard Kevin Smith say this a lot of times on his podcast. He likes who he is when he's doing this. I like who I am when I do this. I feel like I'm in my element. It comes to me naturally. And I don't mean that in, I just, you know, I'm sitting there at, at a day job, like struggling to like, you know, work the constant contact, but yet like when I'm in my element, you know, trying to make something, I just intuitively know what to do in the sense that like, I don't know, I could just, it's just something that I like to do. It's like, you know, why does a candle maker make a candle? Because he can. You know, that sort of thing. And that's how I feel about that, I guess. I don't know, I just, it's just, and for me, you know, as I say often, I never shut the fuck up. And like, you know, I just like, I like talking, I like communicating, and I like sharing the things that are inside of me. And so I think it comes from that place. And here's the other element. Why not just like stick it in a drawer? Sometimes there's different levels. Like sometimes there's such satisfaction in composing a really great tweet and just sending it through all this like this short little burst of like thought process and you just put it out there. You know, it's it, there are different varying degrees. Podcasts are great because you can literally think of anything. It's like it's like the fastest form of animation. Animation can come with anything in your mind. Podcasts, you just gotta speak it and it's out there in the world. It's like the fastest form. Making a film is taking things to a next level. Making a film is literally willing something into existence. You are literally taking what is in your mind and you are willing it by your will. Because here's the thing, the ultimate reality is if you are the driving force behind the film, if you are the writer, director, producer, blah, 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 you, that film is like, no one's gonna give a fuck as much about that project as you. Yep. Yep. Even if someone really gives a fuck about it, nobody is going to give a fuck as much as you. And so you are like, you and you could call maybe it's ego, maybe it's will. I don't know what it is, but you are literally pulling thoughts, intangible things that are inside of your head, and projecting them out 
uh, uh, somehow magically they get onto media and then that media gets projected onto the screen and people are seeing you know, the, the closest approximation of what you're able to execute from your head. So, and that, that is a rewarding feeling. That is a euphoria, uh, a rewarding euphoria in and of itself to think, can I do this? Can I actually do this? And then when you can and when you do, it, it's a self-esteem booster. It's like, it's a, um, uh, and I promise I'll shut up after this last thought. It's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's a validation of my, me trying to express myself, I guess. Damn, yeah. Okay. Yes. Good. That was really great. <laughs> I hate it. Absolutely hate it. If no one asked me to show any of my stuff, I would put it in a drawer and no one would ever see it. But too many people work on it, and then I have to show them. It's all so it, yeah, it's all their fault that my shit gets shown on the screen. Like legitimately. I love it. I love it to death. And seeing it on the big screen is awesome, but I only see the flaws as the filmmaker. Yeah. I only see the yeah. negative as the art. Like I watch it with an audience and I'm like, why? Why is anyone watching this insanity that I put out there? And I kind of like I've learned to just sit and enjoy it and be like, well, you made the thing. Let them decide what they think. And the, you made the joke about the one star, and I've learned to love the one star. Because I truly... I learned to stop worrying yeah, about the one star. Yeah, exactly. Like, I am straight up Doctor Strange loving all of the people. Because, like, we're making things for nothing. For nothing. We're, we're It's our blood, sweat, and tears, and no dollar bills. And... Um, and if you have a couple dollar bills, great, but they don't go as far as you think they do. And when you talk to guys who make million dollar movies, they still don't go as far as you think. Mm -hmm. And you come to terms with that. And like, so for me, if I could put it in a drawer and no one sees it, I would be very, very, very happy. But I love that people continue to watch them and it, it, it's validating. It's important but it also is it's it's i have to just be like yeah I, I did this thing and now i have to move on a little bit so i just do it for the glory <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously it's the money it's just the money. Um, uh, you know, all the the mink coats that i've purchased on the profits from white doomsday just, just, <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I first I first learned the. <laughs> we'll get together later behind the. <laughs> I first learned that I loved making stuff when I was a kid uh, with my creepy crawler oven. It's probably like 1993, <laughs> yes. and I pulled that little fucking multicolored Frankenstein oh, out of that mold, and I was like, "Oh my god, I made this thing! It didn't oh, yeah. exist before." And from then on, it was just a downhill downhill slide. Um, I make things because it's a way for me to express myself and it's yeah. whatever anxieties or, or horrible things are going on in my life or, you know, back when I was a happy human being, um, it was just like stuff that I thought was funny. It was me and my friends asking around and just making stupid shit to entertain myself. And if other people liked it, great. And uh, I still have that feeling, you know, even before I got into like the festival world, just make it, and sometimes I have to remind myself that, like, don't fucking think about what the audience is going to think of this. Just make the thing you want to make and just do it. You used to do this because you loved it, not because you were like, oh, what if I if I don't do this, this, and this, I'm not going to get into this festival or I'm not going to get this award. Who fucking cares? It doesn't matter. Um, it's, again, just to go back to it, it's a compulsion. And I just, I love doing it. And it's a way for me to, it's a, it's a good exorcism, if you will. Yes. Um, yes. Of all the things, you know, <laughs> and it's just a way to, to deal with stuff and, and making things. Like I, like you said, with Kevin Smith, I just love making stuff. Like I love being on set. I feel like I'm in my element. I feel like all the anxieties and stuff that I pile on myself on a day to day, even when I'm on set, I still feel like I'm in charge. I'm in control. I know what the fuck I'm doing. And I have an uncompromising vision. And whether or not people like that is irrelevant. It's just it's, it's what I want to do, and I just I I love it. Like I said, and also you know the millions of dollars that we all make from this is really the icing on the cake. It's nice. Exactly. Um, I think I uh, this kind of goes back when I was on Josh's podcast. I had an answer similar to this. First and foremost, I love my wife and I love my child, but 
after them, that's it. But I love filmmaking. When I make films, I literally feel like that is my truest self. For the longest, for the longest time, I was wrapped up in the day job thing, working in television, doing freelance, you know, shooting weddings, you know, doing music videos and stuff, not making movies. Because I thought that, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, right? And when I started making movies, I have never felt a joy or a passion like anything since. And that kind of what keeps me going in this field in this field. And also, you know, I have been spoiled by watching high budget movies all my life. And for some reason I think that, hey, I could totally get that. You know, I could probably I could do that on, on a low budget. And I know I can't, but I can get better. And there's things that I've seen, like, you know, in the condo that I'll watch, I'm like, Jesus Christ. But what's awesome is that every film that I've seen, I've been able to get closer to the vision that is in my head. Mm -hmm. And as long as I see in other people, you know, I have no problem showing my stuff, but people have told me, like, dude, this is, this is really good. I'm like, oh, dude, this is, this is yeah. better than this and this. That gives me the encouragement to keep going to become the best filmmaker that I can be. So that's kind of what keeps me going. Exactly. 100%. We can't clap, right? <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome, man. You know, I got nervous when you started off saying, I love my wife. I'm like, I was like, wait, it's got to go, wait, it's got to go. But, but, but this film shit? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Pain is temporary, film is forever. Yes. So for, for me, I mean, um, damn, I, you know, I almost see it as a, I, like I'm on a, this is going to sound, I'm, I'm really fucking pretentious, so this is, this is going to sound real off the wall. So I, I, I you know, in, in this, uh, in this, I'm on a, a, a holy quest, I would say, um, with, with, with art in general on some level. I feel like it's like, it's a spiritual undertaking to me because what I mean by that. It's like you were saying, Jeff, about manifestation, yeah. um, taking things from the unreal and making it real, the unseen into the seen, yeah. and 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 everything is like that. But we forget, like even those chairs was the idea in somebody's head, yeah, totally. And then totally. somebody made it real and willed it into being. Everything around us, mics, everything, right? But um, I just feel like in in, in our in our time, um, when nobody really trust his religion or these religious figures or politicians um, who's going to give context to life right um, and the theater you know it, it's like the it's the last cathedral where people from all walks of life can come in sit down together and have a shared experience you know what I mean so it's almost like a it's almost like we're like the high priest of the modern age you know what I mean because we're, we're, we're we, you know yeah. It's weird. We don't want to think about that. Because the, the theater is our church. Yes. You know, Cathedrals, you know, yes. Yeah, yeah. This is our church, and this is where we come to, you know, to yeah. our sermon. Because, because everybody, yes. we're, we're ministering <laughs> to everybody yeah, yes. in our own brand, in our own vision, mm -hmm. but the things that are, are, are the most personal are the most universal, right? Yeah. So people who are on your same frequency is going to connect to you, or connect to you, or connect to you, or connect to me, right? So it, it, it's kind of like, I feel like it's my job. I was called to do this so that I, I can um, give people something. And, and for me, as fucked up as my movies are um, sometimes, I'm really trying to teach people um, compassion, I feel like. Or, or, so it's like in Morning Meal, I'm, I'm trying to show you what the absence of compassion looks like when you, or, or how pain can take that away. And, and dehumanize a person, but I want you to still see their humanity and understand that hey, if certain traumas happen to me, I may I could potentially become a monster. You know what I mean? So I'm always trying to create that sort of like empathy or that sort of um compassion where you can understand that another human is as alive as you are. Um, in in, in what I'm trying to do, I feel like that's my calling. Everybody has their own calling. Um, but I also feel like for for me, like the more I do film, the more I create the more I find the pieces of myself that were lost when I was a child. And when the world breaks you, it breaks you into a million pieces. Yeah. And a lot of times in our lives, we don't know that we're trying to basically be love ourselves and to be loved by the world. Those are like the two different loves that we're really desperate for. And a lot of times um, 
we do that to we make things to 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 give up give of ourselves to others because life is about sharing, right? It's about giving, pouring into something else because you're not gonna be there forever. So I feel like um as a, as artists, um for me personally, it's a spiritual undertaking, and that's why I do it. I can't not do it. It's why I was born to do. It's my it's my it's my contribution in this life. Well said. Nice to follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he said, I, I agree. <laughs> now, as I, when I was growing up, I just like telling stories. I used to draw my own comics and stuff, and they were like shit. But I drew them anyway. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, I can draw dinosaurs. Great, I can't draw people for shit. I feel like I can draw you a stegosaurus, like, but just not a person. No. <laughs> so, but I just always like telling stories, and uh, just that kind of led to like writing, like well, first the comics, then went to writing stories. From there, I went to writing scripts and then just kind of evolved into doing film shooting it because, like I said, I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And I kind of like, I'll have ideas in my mind and they're kind of murky, and it's like when it's kind of fun to when you're done to see what you did, you're like, oh wow, that's it, you know, that's it, that's how I see it. And um, I don't know, it's just uh, it's always an interesting process. So I kind of like challenges sometimes, like. I was like, forced to fear. We had, we had a girl drop through this elevator roof, and I was like, I was like, you can do this. And my other guys, like my co-creative Chad Burns, is like, no, we can't. I said, yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're incorrect, sir. We can. Yeah. So I kind of like doing that, just trying to figure things out, more like an like from an engineering. So just going, like, we can do this, we can do this. So I, I like that challenge, and um, you know, just telling stories, having people enjoy, see, they you know, entertaining. I, I like to entertain people. I like to make them laugh. I don't know if I can make them scared or not. <laughs> to make them laugh, so that's a, that's a start. So that's how I feel about it. I just uh, you know like entertaining people, and uh, I said if we if I didn't have my life, I'd probably be pretty bored. <laughs> it's like I I love making movies, and it's just like and I said when I was a kid, I used to watch the, a lot of low budget. I, I love like Spookies and stuff like Curse of the Blue Lights, these really cheesy movies. And I remember as a kid, I was like that looks like fun. I would love to do that. I was kind of jealous that I never worked on Spookies. So I was like, I want to have those experiences. I want you know to be like I made that. I made something you know incomparable to Spookies or something like that. Just things that I was like, I was like, oh, no, when I was a kid, I was just like, I really want to do that. That looks so fun. I said the Spookies is the best. That's a high bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spirit, you know, yeah. Spookies. You know, there's Shivers list and there's Spookies. <laughs> <laughs> If you've got three movies that aren't finished, YouTube makes movies. <laughs> Absolutely. So I know that you know you guys have been around the horn. You know you've probably been to conventions, horror conventions, film festivals, working on sets for shorts and features. You know the gamut. Do you all have like a weird or a funny story that you like to share with the crowd that you kind of think back on that it's kind of like. You know, an anecdote. It doesn't have to be a funny story, or just like a weird encounter or a strange coincidence that happened to you guys in your in your travels. I got one. Okay. So we were making a short film for Ten Thirty One called Trespassers, and what's about is this haunted property with a scarecrow on it. And my buddy hit a house. It's like a farmhouse, perfect. And it's near this road that, at the time, I mean, it's kind of got more traffic now, but. I was like, it's not too bad in the evenings. It's pretty bad. <laughs> so we set up, we're filming. One night, five cops showed up because they saw the cross in the yard. And someone said, there's a cross in this yard. So we, yeah, we made the, the post for the scarecrow. So like, there's a cross in this yard. So five cops showed up. One cop was from a different district. He came in because he was, I just thought it sounded interesting. I wanted to see what was going on. So they show up and we're like, what the heck? And the guy's walking, one cop's walking over the scarecrow. He's not going to jump off that post, is he? I'm like, no, but please don't shoot it. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty crazy having like five cops show up just for, for a stupid movie. They wanted to check it out. They wanted to check it out. So the guy's like, I just thought it sounded interesting. Came out to see it. He gave me his card and he's like, you get a cop in a movie, here we go. <laughs> so when I was filming The Good Exorcist, that's screening tonight, uh, I was under union rules. Because I made it for like a reality show, we still had to follow reality show rules. Now we don't, as independent filmmakers, we don't have to follow any rules. Like right. there are no union right. rules, right. nothing. But I had to because of this show and that seemed wrong to me. 
Like in my head, I was like, why do I have to follow your stupid rules? Right. So there is a shot in the movie that's in the trailer that's been screening all day where Daniel, who is fucking 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, he's a tall dude. And I am, I'm tall, but I'm not that tall. I'm kidding, I'm very short. I was like, he's joking, right? I am very, very short. And he is very, very tall. That's a much, right? Like 5'3 on, on a tall day. And, and Daniel is 6'7. So he's got like a foot and change on me. And I've got to film this guy. And the rule was I had to like hold the camera. What's that? He's talking to me. Oh. So I had to I had to film him. And the shot I wanted was Avery in the foreground. Every filmmaker knows you want the like person in the foreground out of focus and the thing in focus in the foreground. So I want Avery in the, in, out of focus in the foreground, Daniel laying down on a pentagram. And in order to get that shot as little as I am, I would have to be up on a roof or a ladder or something <laughs> to get it. So I, I set up a ladder and I did all my stuff and I set it up and I'm like, okay, this is the shot I'm gonna get. I'm gonna crawl to the top of the ladder, stand on top and film down on you. And the reality crew looked at me and was like, no, you're not. You're not climbing up a ladder. You can go up a foot, and that's union rules. A foot is as far as you can go that's up. Bullshit. That is straight up. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You can go up like one apple box, and then you're stopped. So I lay. So yeah. So I straight up was just like Daniel, lay down. Avery, stand here. I'm gonna go up as far as I can. I'm gonna stretch my arms, my little boy arms, as tall as I can. <laughs> And I'm gonna get so this shot big. so big. <laughs> so, and, that's, and they're like, they're like, okay, okay, little guy, you can, you do that. That's fine. And I'm like, and action. And I ran the fuck up that ladder to the very top and stood at the top and was like, stop me now. And everyone, like, literally, the reality, now? yeah, who's short now, motherfuckers? <laughs> the reality crew all just like circled in on me and stopped the shoot. They're like, get down! You gotta get down! And that the shot that you see in that movie is the like five seconds I was able to get before the reality crew That's shot awesome. me. <laughs> is everybody looking at me to go? Should I go? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll go. Uh, all right. Um, what is this? What crazy? Just crazy. Crazy film stories. Crazy film stories. Tell the story uh, about the gravedigger shutting you down because it says well, in the credits. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, I did. Well, I mean, I, yeah, we 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 snuck into we snuck into many cemeteries uh, to make my movie, and sometimes we snuck into cemeteries at two o'clock in the morning, which I mean, listen, it, it was not a smart thing to do, and it was not a safe thing to do because. You know, it's funny, at the time, didn't really didn't give a shit, but like, you know, especially with like things that have recently happened, I like reflect back on my own experiences and I thought like, you know, like my, my and we had a, we, the thing was, we had a shovel with us. So we had a, we were, we had a shovel and we were in a graveyard with a camera at 2 a.m. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, and it was funny. The, yeah. The, 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 the AD that we had for one day, we only had an AD one day. It was the one time we did. And he like left all his stuff in the car. And I was like, why? Why do you, what, what do you, he's like, he didn't want, he, he was really convinced that the police were going to show up. And we strategically chose this cemetery because it was very close to street lights. So we actually had some light because we couldn't bring lights in with us because if you see a light in the pitch black cemetery that you're gonna know someone's in there doing something at Joe Dr. Morris. We did have we did have a light. Actually if you see that shot of Romeo when he's when he's hunching around, that was there were five cemeteries we used and that one we did use the spot that was the only time we used the spotlight in pitch black. And someone could have tripped and really hurt themselves in amongst the uh tombstones. But I don't know what would have happened if a cop had found us in in the cemetery with the shovel and the camera and asked us, and we, you know, there's SUNY Purchase, that's the local college. And, you know, what I said to everybody, what I always say is just say we're from SUNY Purchase and we're making a student film and go like this and hope for the best. And um, 
Yeah, and yeah, we got kicked out of the, as I said earlier in the Q&A, we got kicked out of the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery twice. Um, and there's this guy, the, the, the grave, the care, he drives around in this mini, this white minivan. So I, I had to include him in uh, the credits. That was, that was really important. Um, but recently, we returned to that cemetery to film something separate from Romeo. Returned to that cemetery, same one that I used to do, that we filmed at 2 o'clock in the morning. I remembered that to go to that cemetery because we didn't have any problems, even though we could have. And I, I shit you not, when we got out of that cemetery, and it was not 2 a.m. when we went, but it was night, we needed it at night, um, there were absolutely cop cars waiting. And this just happened in uh, the fall, in the winter. Uh, and we were driving away as the cops were rolling into <laughs> the fucking cemetery. And we're wow. just like, yes, we got away with it again. <laughs> you know, third time's the charm, so we probably won't be returning to the cemetery anytime soon. Um, so when we were shooting White Doomsday, there's a lot of abandoned locations. And uh, we absolutely have permits and permission to go to all of those abandoned locations. Of course, and shoot of course. Um, but the one that stands out is, and I told this in the, the Q&A, there was uh, the scene when we first were introduced to Santa Claus. Um, we called it the Forbidden City. It was a lodge in the woods that had burned down, and I guess they demolished the buildings, and uh, then they ran out of money and never cleared the rubble. So it was just this massive set of ruins that looked super cool and had these giant chimneys. So we're like, oh my god, we have to shoot here. Problem is, people would party there, so it would get patrolled by police pretty regularly. Well, we waited until it was the coldest day on record in Pennsylvania for the last 60 years. It was negative 11 with a wind chill. Oh, God. We knew that there would be no police, so we hiked them. Probably a mile through the woods. But a mile through the woods, we duct taped chemical hand warmers all over our bodies. And poor Santa, he had boots that were cut up the back, so his skin was exposed. He had no gloves on. Guy did not complain once. So we're out there. We had someone stationed like at the edge, so if a police officer came, he could like call. And before I did this, my brother's a cop, so I'm like, so what's the worst case scenario that happens to us if we get caught doing this? And uh, then I had to talk to all the casting crew, I'm like, so just so you guys know, you know, we may get arrested, but whatever. So we ended up, we started shooting. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, what was the worst whatever. thing that happened? Yeah, yeah, like, so he was like, he's like, well, you can get like a three thousand dollar fine. Okay. Like he's all this stuff, and I'm like, ooh. He's like, but it's your first offense, so probably not. <laughs> Um, and at the time, the DA of the town I lived in was actually a fan of Real Splatter, my company, so he liked all our movies. I'm like, I gotta get out of jail free crime, right? My brother's like, don't, don't. Don't uh, pay. Yeah. Unless you literally so, have the card. Yeah. <laughs> it was at the printer. Oh, yeah. This is from Monopoly. So, <laughs> so we ended up shooting, and um, someone kicked over a cup of coffee, and it froze in a three-dimensional like wave, and I was like, all right, done. Can't do this. Wow. Um, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be jealous, or uh, greedy and do one more. Um, I needed to get hair at the weave store um, for all the corpses and stuff that we were doing in the movie. So I go to the weave store, which is run by a really, really lovely, like, 70-year-old Asian man. He speaks very little English. And I go in there, and he's, like, trying to ask me if I need anything. I'm like, yeah, I need, like, this kind of, like, human hair, not, like, the Kanaka. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of hair and stuff for these corpses. And I'm like, you know, it's got to look like it's been dead for, like, three years, whatever. It's, it's for a corpse. <laughs> and, you know, when you're on set, you don't think about this stuff. And so it's, it, it's it literally your day-to-day. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's like, yeah, we're doing the, the bathtub corpse scene today. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I say this to this dude, and he's, like, one step away from calling the police. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit, this sounds terrible. I'm like, no, 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 don't worry. It's a corpse, and they're talking, and the more I say, the worse it gets. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then it's not the only time that that's happened with the weave story. I think they probably have my picture posted up behind the counter. You just probably kept eye contact with him the whole time. <laughs> I need some human hair for my dead body. <laughs> but you don't think about this shit when you're making a movie. It's like its own weird little world, you know? Uh, I got a really, really quick one because I know we're probably getting tight on time, maybe. Uh, it was not one of my films, but it's a film that I worked on called Goat Boy. And it was... And it was from a filmmaker named Zach Lavin. And we somehow got permission to shoot on this barn out in the middle of nowhere. It had lots of fields and grass and everything. I was like, all right, cool. And in the script, it says that you know Goat Boy is trapped under the floorboards of this you know, place, and his mom kind of puts him down there to hide him from his dad, like this religious zealot. And I was like, all right, cool, we're going to, this, this location's gonna have that, right? And we get there, and it's just 
it's just a, a barn broken up into two sections. One, no. there's like flat wood, and then on the other side, there's just hay and like a ladder, and then there's like an upper section. And I was like, hey, so how are we gonna do this? He's like, well, I have this door, and he had like a little hinge, and he was like, I was think we could just probably put it here, and that could, you know, we could uh, kind of sh shoot around it, and that's all I had. And I was like, and he was, he, I could see he was a little nervous. I was like, wait a minute, I think, I think we can do what you want. And then he was like, how? And I was like, trust me. And so I went and I uh, put Duve on all the windows that are up there. And I know, I know you guys know this. Remember, you know those, those newer CN160 lights mm -hmm. that can be uh, powered on Sony V-mounts or like eight or nine of them in there? Yes. I took a C-stand, put six of those around the C-stand, turn them all up on their highest setting, and I turned on the camera and I said, look, and you can see light beams signing down nice. through the slots of wood from nice. the top. And then Perfect. he was like, holy shit, looks like we're downstairs. I was like, I know, right? And then I took some hay and threw it up in the air and there's dust. And he was like, yeah. holy shit. And then, and then he was like, well, wait, how are we going to the, get the other part? I was like, watch this. Took everything down, got on the other side. Now there's wood paneling down. I was like, where's your, where's your fucking door? And he gave me the door and it just hinged up and I knocked it down. He was like, well, well, the kid can't go anywhere. And it's like, this is why we make movies, to make our own reality. Yep. I said, we put the camera behind the door as it lifts up. We put the kid behind that so it just appears. We cut away something else, then she slams the door. Then that side is the basement side. Yep. And my man looked at me like like I was Jesus I'm walking on the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I thought that was a, yeah, that was a pretty cool little uh, onset story. Molly wrapping it up. Okay, I'll wrap it up. I'll keep it brief. Um, I'll talk about something from morning meal. Um, kind of like the shit storm that I was um, sometimes um, trying to put that together. Um, we were shooting that, uh, that scene with the accident and my crew was acting weird, my logistical crew, and I was just, they wouldn't make eye contact with me while I was working. So I was like, you know that shit's a bad sign, right? You're directing and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, oh that's good, yeah, we got the next shot. You're like, wait, what the? Yeah, yeah. They're not trying to hold conversation. Yeah. You tell your AD when you trying to ask questions, you turn back around. Your AD is gone. You're like something's up, mm -hmm. right? So, I, so I'm like, okay, I I need to keep on working. I got to organize this scene. I, I'm seeing side conversations off to the side. I'm like, oh fuck, what is it? What is it? Mm -hmm. So I had known um, the makeup artist. That's not a guy I saw right now, but he was fucking up, right? So I had like a backup person. You're like, you know, you gotta do that sometimes. Yeah. So, so dude, dude was like, the only one, right? Right. Dude was like, yo, I'm on my way. I swear, I swear. Like three hours later, I'm like, we're starting to shoot. He gets there. I'm like, where's your kit? Oh, I heard you had the spare person, but I'm just gonna use their kit. Oh my god. Oh. So, so I, I just lightly pat the side of his face and I looked at him like that because. I was gonna kill him. <laughs> and then I just turned and walked away. Last caress. <laughs> I just turned and walked away. And then when I got back, I see like 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 knights it around. Like my lead producer's there, and he's standing at it, he's standing looking at me. They're all making eye contact. I'm like, okay guys, what the fuck is going on? What's going on? What's wrong? Um, you know that park that we scouted that we had all the stuff set up for? Uh, yeah, yeah, we got permits for it. Yeah, yeah, we did everything with the city. Well, uh, the city double booked it. Oh. And there's a whole party going there. Oh. We, and this is why I like my team, while you were shooting this scene, we went and got another park, but we haven't scouted it. So while we're breaking down here, can you come over here to this park and let's try to fix it up? So we got to the park and there's nothing there. There's no benches. There's a baseball team playing in the background. I'm like, fuck. But then we were, I, I was like, okay, well, we got to solve this because I started seeing, hey, we got this playground over in the corner. Why don't we just move, steal the benches from the basketball team <laughs> while, while they're playing <laughs> and set up this whole scene. So that whole scene you see where, the, where she's first watching the kids play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all like crafted. Like we, we said all that shit. Yeah, with different shit, just brought different shit together, moved it, got the crew over there and just shot it. You know what I mean? Like, so that was like that was like a, a crazy um, thing. Also, that scene where Ruya's walking out there on the steps and stuff, it's literally like the first week of November. Mm. It is freezing cold yeah. in that scene. Um and yeah, she was a trooper. She just she she didn't complain, but 
It was the beginning of maybe her hatred for me, and I'm done. You know, you, she, she went through a lot to make that movie, but um, yeah, that's it. You know, you know, a crew, a good crew makes a. That's amazing. You know, yeah. that makes the world go round. Like, oh, what we do, right? Yeah. So uh, that was a lot of fun spending some time with these filmmakers. They're all very funny. They're gonna be here for the rest of the night. So, uh, Sorry, that was my fault. If you want to chat at them or ask them any questions, they'll be here all night. And uh, six o'clock, I think we've got a little bit of a break here. So at six o'clock, we're gonna be back here for the shorts. A very eclectic shorts block. Uh, Hack in the Box is a really cool horror film from Zane. We've got The Conduit, which is an awesome monster movie from John Hale. We've got uh, Chlorine from Camera Kid, a really cool sci-fi short. We've got The Things with the Glowing Green Eyes, which yes. is a very fantastic yes. short from Jeremy yeah. Herbert. Uh, Rakefet Abergel's Boo is oh, also boy. Boy. Yes. Boo. really good. Boo. And there's one more that I'm forgetting. Uh, Aaron Baracus' Sitting Duck, which is so it's a fantastic block of shorts. Be here at six o'clock for that. And then at eight o'clock we've got The Good Exorcist directed by Josh Difter. Yeah. Horror comedy, and that'll be the end of the night. So thank you. Thank you, Nathan. 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 Thank you, Nathan.